Hey everybody, Nate Clark here. I'm the pastor of Oasis Church here in Richmond, Virginia. We pray that this podcast is helpful and encouraging to you in your life. Here's today's message. Acts chapter number 15. Are you ready for God's word today? All right, the scripture says this. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with him. And Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So, you know, so there's some people saying, essentially, you, you know, you can't be saved or right with God unless you're circumcised. And so there becomes this almost theological debate. Like, what do we do with the Gentiles who are not following the laws according to Moses and not circumcised, but God is saving them? What do we do with them? Uh, do they have to become Jews in order to become Christians is the question here at hand. Verse number three, the church sent them on their way as they traveled through Phoenicia, Samaria, Samaria, they told the Gentiles that had been converted. This news made the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders whom they reported everything God had done through them. Verse 5. Some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. This is the first church board meeting of the early church. Here we go. It's the first denominational uh, meeting where votes are cast and discussions are done. Don't you love that? Isn't this fun? Uh, (laughs) Verse number seven. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. He's saying, hey, God has not discriminated based on the ethnicity of the people he's saving. God is saving us and he's saving them, Jews and Gentiles alike. Everywhere we're going, every town, every people, God is saving them. God is pouring out his spirit. Verse 10, he's asked a great question. Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? Great, very good question. No, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus we're saved, just as, just as they are. Verse 12, the whole assembly became silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God did among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James, so this is the brother of Jesus, he's a leader in the Jerusalem church, he stood up and he said, brothers, listen to me, Simon's described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophet are in agreement with this, as it is written, after this, I will return and rebuild David's, David's fallen tent, its ruins, I will rebuild, I will restore it. Save a remnant of men that may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things that have been known for ages. Verse 19, he kind of summarizes it and comes to the conclusion here that they're discussing. He says, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. What a statement. We, We shouldn't make it difficult for them that are turning to God. Instead, here's what we should do. should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, sexual immorality, meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. 
Today I wanna talk around this title from our text, Christ Alone, Christ Alone. Would you pray this out loud with me? Say, dear God, today, do what no man can do. Open my eyes, open my heart, that I may receive your word, believe your word, and obey your word. Amen. And Lord, give VCU another March Madness run in Jesus' name. It's been too long. It's been over a decade. <laughs> Come on. One more win today and we're going dancing. God answers prayer. You know that. <laughs> Acts 15. Acts 15 is known as the Jerusalem Council. It's this meeting amongst the church leaders around this question. The question has been sparked because beginning in Acts 10, we've looked at the last few months, Acts 10 all the way up to 15, the gospel has begun to be unleashed, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. It's gone to Samaria, it's gone to Iconium, it's gone to Lystra and Derbe, it's gone to Cornelius in his house in the Roman province of Asia. And so, so the gospel is being unleashed amongst all people groups. Every tribe, tongue, nation, every background, every ethnicity uh, is not just the Jews anymore that God's pouring his spirit out on. God is pouring his spirit out in signs and wonders and salvation. And so this is sparking the question amongst the Jews and the church leaders. They're saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, a lot of Gentiles are being saved now. And so don't they have to fall in line with the law of Moses? Particularly, the main thing in discussion here is, don't they have to be circumcised? This was the sign of the old covenant with God and his people was circumcision. And so essentially what they're asking are, uh, do, do they have to become Jews in order to become Christians? Do they have to become circumcised in order to be saved and right with God? And then follow along with the law of Moses. So this played out practically in dietary laws um, and how they ate, how they Sabbathed, how they worshiped, uh, following the law of Moses. There were Gentiles that did not come from a Jewish background. They were not circumcised. They did not follow the laws of Moses. The Jews would have seen them as unclean, but now they're being saved. Now the spirit of God is being poured out on them. And so they're, they're having this debate, like, what do we do with this? Like, is that good? Do they have to fall in line with the Jewish law or or are they good? And so there becomes a discussion and a debate. And many from the Pharisees are saying like, no, they need to be circumcised. They need to become, they need to check the boxes with the Jews before they can be right with God. But Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and James all stand up and testify. I love Peter's the first one to do it. He's the bold one. He's the loud one. He's the one that's like, yeah, Jesus, I'll jump out of the boat. Yeah, I'll say it. Yeah, I'll cut off the dude's ear. Like Peter's the guy that's like the first one to always do it. So Peter's the first guy to stand up. And he's saying like, hey, listen, I, I, I'm seeing God pour out his spirit on the Gentiles. Peter was the one that had this dream in Acts chapter 10 where God said, hey, Peter, don't call unclean or things that I've called clean. He was the one who went to the house of Cornelius where him and his whole household got saved. And in the middle of Peter's message, the spirit is poured out. And Peter's like, oh my gosh, God is saving the Gentiles. God is saving people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. God is pouring out his spirit. So Peter's standing up and testifying, saying, hey, this is what God's doing. Like, I've, I've witnessed it myself. I've, I've seen God pour out his spirit amongst the Gentiles. And then he's like, hey, why are you trying to place a, a, a burden on them that we ourselves couldn't even bear. 
He's like, we and our ancestors couldn't bear the law. In fact, it was the law that revealed to us our need for a savior. It was, our law that it was the law that revealed to us our sin and our shortcomings. He's like, it was too heavy for us to bear. Why are we placing it on them? Then Paul and Barnabas get up. They testify. They say, hey, God's doing signs and God's doing wonders amongst the Gentiles. He's, he's doing it everywhere. God's pouring out his spirit. And then James gets up and he speaks in agreement with Peter in agreement with Paul and Barnabas, and he, he summarizes it by saying, like, hey, let's not make it difficult for them to turn to Christ. They're turning to Christ. Let's not add burdens to them to do it. Let's let them turn to Christ instead, and then he gives them some instructions on their living. He's saying, essentially what he's saying is, hey, it's faith in Christ alone that saves people and gets them right with God. It's not circumcision, it's not their ability to follow the law, it's not their own righteousness, it's not their own efforts, they're saved by faith in Christ alone, and these Gentiles are having faith in God saving them, in God saving them. It's really what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter two, Paul lists his spiritual checklist. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's like, you think you follow the law and you think you're, you're super religious and follow all the law? He goes, I, I'll, I'll square off with you and I'll, I'll he's like, I'm better than you. <laughs> I'm a Hebrew of all Hebrews. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Paul lists all of his spiritual accomplishments, all the laws he followed, all the things he did. And then Philippians 2, he says, I consider them all garbage compared to the value of knowing Christ. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, all those things couldn't save me. All, all those things is not where my hope was found. That's, that was not what made me righteous. What, what, what saved me was Christ and Christ alone and salvation in Christ and faith in Christ, knowing Christ, Philippians 2, uh, greater than all those things. This is what the whole book of Galatians is about. Paul is writing, addressing like, hey, hey, we're not made righteous by the law. We're made righteous by faith in Christ alone. What an incredible conclusion they come to in Acts chapter 15, isn't it? One I'm grateful for today. Anybody grateful for that? I've got some observations I want to look at and teach us a little bit today from this text. The first one is this. We are saved by faith in Christ alone. We're saved by faith in Christ alone. Verse 9 and 10. We've already looked at it, but I want to see it again. Peter says, he did not discriminate between us and them, Jews and Gentiles. He purified their hearts by faith. Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? So he's saying it again. He's like, hey, we, we, we couldn't be made righteous by the law. We couldn't do it. We couldn't measure up. Why are we putting that on them? And then verse 11, he says, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus we're saved. Come on, anybody grateful for that? It's through the grace of God that we are saved. Here's what Hebrews chapter number 10 says. Speaking of the law that they're talking about, it says the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. I don't want to teach this for a second. This is important. Hebrews here is talking about in the Old Testament law, you had to go make sacrifices for your sin. You would have to atone. Blood would have to be shed. You would make sacrifices 
for your sin. And what Hebrews is saying is, hey, the law was only a shadow. It was only a band-aid to the solution. Like you were never made perfect and righteous before God because of a sacrifice. It was a temporary band-aid for your sin problem. Because how many know, it's like if you have to make a sacrifice, right? it's like we're going back again and sacrificing again and sacrificing again and I messed up again and I messed up again. And it was saying, hey, that was just, a, that was a band-aid. That was a temporary solution to the problem of your sin and the gap between you and God. It was just a foreshadow of things to come. You, you can't be made righteous by your own works. Galatians 5, 1, Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. He's talking about the burden of the law. He's saying, hey, hey, you, you, you can't be made righteous by the law. If you're trying to earn it by works, that's a yoke of slavery that you are not able to bear. How many know salvation any other way is too great of a burden to bear? It's too great of a burden to bear. It is, it is too big of a gap to bridge. It is too crushing of a weight because Christ is holy, because Christ is perfect, because he, he, he is spotless. The bar is so high, salvation any other way is too great a burden to bear. We can't earn it on our own. That's what this group is discussing here in Acts 15. And you might hear this today and be like, yeah, for sure. Save, saved by grace, faith alone in Christ. Like, I haven't, I haven't once thought that obeying the law of Moses or, you know, that, that circumcision made me saved. That's not even, I don't even have to worry about that. I don't know, like, I don't even think if circumcision is what makes me saved. I don't think if I have to, you know, adhere to Jewish law to be saved. It's just faith in Christ alone, faith in Christ alone. While, while the temptation for you to believe these exact things may not be exactly what they were discussing that day, we have to be careful because we can begin to slide into a works-based salvation if we're not careful. So it's, it's different things than it was here, but we can begin to think things like this. If I can just go to church more than I don't go to church, I'm good with God. I'm, I'm, I'm good with God because I've been in church more than I haven't been in church recently. Um, like you can begin to say things like, I'm, I'm just making sure I'm doing more good than bad. I'm making sure the scales are tipped in a positive direction. I'm doing more good than I've done bad, so I'm right with God because I've been on a, I've been on a good streak lately in my goodness and my righteousness. I'm just so holy in Jesus' name. Um, you can you know, begin to think it's just a little bit more serving, a little bit more charity, a little, a few more acts of kindness, and I'm doing good, and God is more pleased with me now because my goodness is overflowing, and my kindness that, um, if I could just clean up my life a little bit around the edges, you know, I've just got some little rough spots around the edges, you know, a few, few little bad words slip here and there, and occasionally my hand hits the wrong radio station, and I just like to keep it there for a little bit, and it, you know, just, just got little things on the outside that are just not good, and if I just, if I just clean it up a little bit, then, then I'm good, then I'm right with God, God is pleased with me because I'm doing it right, uh, if I can just give enough money to the church, just, just kind of pay my way, God knows, and I'm just giving it, or, I mean, how about this, how about, we can just think it's our intentions, oh man, I mean good, I, man, I really mean good, I, I, I have a good heart, I, I mean good, and God knows my heart, and because I mean good, I'm good with God, God sees me, God, I have good intentions, how about you compare yourself to other people, you can always feel righteous by comparison, 
Come on, you can always find somebody that'll make you feel good about yourself, can't you? You just look around, it's like, you know, well, oh, well, compared to them, like where they're at with God and their relationship with God, they must be so far from God. Like, I'm, me, and, me and God are good. I'm good before God compared to them, right? Compared to that person or that coworker, that family member, I'm good, I'm good. We can begin to compare ourselves and think we're good with God, relatively speaking. If, if I just go on this mission trip or get in this small group or serve on this surf team or if I, just, if I just listen to the right Christian music or if I just read my Bible more and more and if I just pray before I go to sleep, I'm good with God. I'm doing good. I'm good with God. And it's, it's so important to realize none of that makes you right before God. None of that earns you salvation. None of that fills up the spiritual tank to the extent where you're saved, you're right before God because you've, you've done enough, you've checked enough boxes, you've said enough right things, you've done enough right things, you've tipped the scales to where now you're good with God. None of that makes you right before God. You are saved by faith in Christ alone. Faith in Christ alone. Because the bar's way too high, the burden is way too crushing to be able to do it on your own. I was thinking of it like this came up with this little illustration. I don't know if it'll be good or not. Y'all let me know. It might, be, it might be bad. So I got this little basketball hoop. This is normally in my office. This is what Silas likes to play with you know, when he comes up here. He's a baller. All right, so I got a few little things out of Oasis Kids. I got Snow White. Y'all see that, Snow White? See Snow White there? I thought this was Sleeping Beauty. I don't know my characters really well. Somebody told me earlier it was Snow White. So we got Snow White. Snow White's gonna play basketball, okay? Snow White is down there. And then we've got one of the uh, dwarves. Um, what's his name again? Somebody told me. Doc. Doc. Somebody, yeah, Doc. All right, so we got uh, Doc, the dwarf here. Uh, he's gonna play some ball. And then we got a Bible character. Uh, we got Noah. <laughs> There's little Noah. You see Noah right there? Little Noah, he's got his little staff. He's got the little dove on his shoulder, you know? So, so there's Noah. He survived the flood. You know, God preserved him. There's Noah. And so, you know, let's just, for pretend's sake, you know, these guys are gonna play a basketball game. Here's their basketball, okay? They're gonna have to shoot this hoop. And if I'm a betting man, I'm betting on Noah. I'm betting on Noah because, you know, the flood will raise him up a little bit. He'll get a little higher shot, you know. Um, and then I probably go with Snow White above uh, Doc or whatever just because, you know, she looks, she looks like she's got a little more. Doc looks a little, uh, little, a little lazy down there. So that's my order if I'm betting. But how many know if we give them this ball and that's the ball and that's the hoop, it's like this hoop is about 30x their height. And uh, how many know they ain't going to score? They ain't going to score. Uh, again, I think Noah could probably shoot a little better than Doc, but how many know Noah ain't scoring? Noah ain't scoring, right? So he could feel real self-righteous about himself compared to Snow White, but compared to the standard and the task at hand, how many know he ain't got it? He ain't got it. So it is with us and our salvation is standing before God. It's like the holiness and righteousness of God is the standard. So it's like, okay, you're a little bit more righteous than me. You still don't got it. You're a little bit more righteous than your neighbor. You still don't got it. We, we fall short. The scripture says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're not made righteous by anything we can do. We're not made righteous in our own effort, in our own striving, in our own attempts to get to God. We, we fall drastically short. It's an impossible task. This is why, this is what they come to in Acts 15. We're saved by faith in Christ alone. It's the grace of God. This is when the reformers brought about the great reformation. They talked about scripture alone and faith alone and Christ alone. That's it. 
saved by faith in Christ alone. Verse number 10, this question's asked, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke neither we nor our ancestors are able to bear? I wanna ask you the question today. Why do you put the yoke of righteousness on yourself as too great to bear? Because we can, I mean, we can live like this, right? It's like, why, why do you put that yoke on yourself that, that you have to earn this thing? That's a crushing yoke. That's a, that's a heavy task at hand. You, you know that you're off base here, that you're trying to work and earn something that God is just asking you to receive. If you're more full of condemnation and shame regarding God than gratitude and worship. Because if it's, if it's I gotta earn it, I gotta earn it, then every time you think about it, you can feel condemnation. But we know from the scriptures there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You might be off base here if you think about your testimony or you're sharing your testimony and it's a lot more you-based than God-based. I always know this when I talk to people and I ask them their testimony and their testimony is about, yeah, I used to do this, now I do this. I used to do this, now I do this. I used to do this. And it's all about how they've cleaned up their life. Uh, You're not the hero of your testimony. Christ is the hero of your testimony. Christ saved you. His grace saved you. It's not about how I cleaned it up or what I did or the improvements I made. Now, God's grace works in me and through me to do things in my life, but that is not the cornerstone of my testimony. The cornerstone of my testimony is the work Christ has done on my behalf. I'm saved by grace alone. Grace alone. That's such a freeing thing. I want you to rest in that. I want you to receive that today. Your salvation story should sound a lot more like resting than striving. Not look at what I did. Look at what Christ has done for me. Piggybacking on that, the second point is this. Coming to Christ is easy. Coming to Christ is easy. Stay with me a little bit. I want to teach through this, then I'm going to bring it, bring it around full circle. Coming to Christ is easy. Verse number 19 James is concluding, he says, my judgment is we should not make it more difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. I want you to think about that statement. We shouldn't make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. So here's what he's saying. God is not making it difficult for them to turn to him. So we shouldn't add unnecessary steps and behaviors that God himself is not adding. God is not making it difficult for them to turn to him. God is saving them. God is working. So we shouldn't, in our humanity, in our flesh, add things that God isn't adding. We we shouldn't add to the gospel. We shouldn't add hoops to jump through and boxes to check that God isn't doing. So if God is making it easy, we shouldn't make it difficult. That's what he's saying. Over and over again, the gospels articulate, the scriptures articulate, the goodness and the ease of salvation for those who would call in the name of the Lord. I wanna hit a few scriptures. Titus 3, 5 says this. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Come on, just receive that. Let me just read that over you again today. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. Not by works, so no one can boast. So here's the thing. In the kingdom of God, there's no chest pounding. 
In the kingdom of God, no one's walking, pounding their chest. There's no chest pounding. There's only a hand raising in gratitude and humility because he saved us by grace through faith, not of works, so I can't boast. This is not my thing. I didn't do the work. God did the work. He saved us. It's not of ourselves. How about Romans 10, verse 9? It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's with, your mouth, it's, it's with your heart you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Coming to Christ is easy. Christ has made the way. Christ has done the work. How about Jesus himself saying in Matthew 11, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why is that true? Why is, it, why is the burden light? Because you don't have to bear it. He bore it. He did the work. The burden of righteousness is not on you. How many know the burden of righteousness would be a heavy burden? It would not be light. It would not be easy. <laughs> It would be discouraging and heavy. That's why Jesus says, my yoke's easy, my burden's light. Why? Because he's done the work on Calvary. So look, if, if you haven't given your life to Christ today, today is the day of salvation. Coming to Christ is easy. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another second. Don't hold off. Believe in Christ today. Surrender your heart to Christ today. Trust him today. Give him your heart today. He is Lord. He is Christ. Look no farther. Wait no longer. He is Christ. You aren't guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. So turn. Christ has made a way. His arms are open. He is the way of salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Turn to Christ today. Don't wait another second. Turn to Christ today. My uh, good friend, Pastor Travis Jones, he says it like this. You don't clean up before you go to the shower. You go to the shower to get cleaned up. Don't, don't feel like you have to get it together to come to Christ. Christ. Christ's arms are open. His grace is sufficient. He did the work on Calvary. He is enough. It's easy to come to Christ. He has made a way. He has made a way. Before I get to my last point, I want to give a preface because my last point today is going to seem like it contradicts everything I've said so far. But it's important, it's important to realize that these things don't work against each other, they work with each other. Because you could have heard what I've said today, maybe you're watching this online or you check this on a podcast or whatever, and you, you can hear up to now, and you can just be hearing this and be like, yes, amen. Grace alone. I'm saved by grace. It's the grace of God. I, I'm not saved by my church attendance. I am not saved by my church attendance. I'm saved by grace alone. And you are correct. You might say, I am not saved by my own righteousness. I am not saved by the good I do. I am not saved by the way I live. I am not saved by my prayer life. I am not saved by my giving. I'm not saved by any of it. And you would be correct. But you could hear this and misinterpret it as to say, I'm not saved by my church attendance. I'm saved by faith and grace alone, and so I don't need to go to church. 
I'm saved by grace alone. I'm saved by faith in Christ alone. It's not of myself, so I don't need to pursue righteousness. I'm saved by faith, grace alone, so I don't need to pray, and I don't need to know the scriptures, and I don't need to do that. And the problem with that is that is faulty thinking. That is a secular mindset put on a spiritual truth. So that's Acts chapter 14. Here's what happened when Paul got to Lystra. They performed miracles, but they had secular pagan mindsets about God that they put onto Paul's miracles, so they misinterpreted it. So a secular mindset put on a spiritual truth will cause you to misinterpret what God is doing and saying. So, so to take grace alone, faith alone in Christ, and to say, I'm free in Christ, grace alone. I, I have faith in Christ alone, faith in Christ alone, faith in Christ alone. That's all I need, faith in Christ alone. So I'm free, freedom, that's the, it's the famous verse people like to quote, it's for freedom that Christ set me free. So I'm free in grace alone, free in grace alone. And so, and, and it demands nothing of your life. You've misinterpreted the gospel of Christ. You've misinterpreted the gospel of Christ. Everything we've talked about so far, the first two points, here's the third point. Third point is this, turning to Christ means turning from idols. It means turning from idols. I want to explain this. My first two points today was just doctrine. Could have been like a you know, 101 Bible course or something. It's a doctrine. It's salvation. It's what Christ has done for us, how we're saved by Christ's finished work on the cross. It's doctrine. I mean, no, good doctrine is important. Good doctrine matters. Good doctrine is vital, but good doctrine for the sake of good doctrine is not the point. Like, the reason doctrine matters is not just to have good doctrine to have good doctrine. The reason good doctrine matters is because doctrine determines direction. Your doctrine determines your direction, or you could say it like this, you behave according to how you believe. So how you live is a direct result of what you believe. I can tell what you believe not by what you say, but by how you live. So correct believing leads to correct living. Incorrect believing leads to incorrect living. So to take the message of grace alone and faith alone and to run with it in a way that doesn't honor God is showing you've believed something wrong about it that's resulted in you living incorrectly. But if you believe it correctly, the result of correct belief is correct behavior. Are you tracking with me this morning? So, so here's, here's how I know the church that was receiving this message as a result of Acts 15 was understanding and grasping the message of the gospel, because they're issuing their final conclusion, 19 and 20. He says, hey, we shouldn't make it difficult for those who are turning to God. Verse number 20, look what James says. He says, okay, so here's what we should do. We shouldn't make it difficult. However, we're going to write to them. We're going to send them a letter. And here's what we're going to tell them, to abstain from food polluted by idols, abstain from sexual immorality, you're like, whoa, I thought that, like, this was like, this was grace alone, faith in Christ, and now he's addressing their sexual ethics. And to not eat the meat of strangled animals from blood. So he's doing these things particularly because he knew the Gentile cultures and the Gentile mindsets were gripped and imprisoned by idols. 
idol worship, sexual idol worship, all kinds of things that if not addressed and if not resolved, one would dishonor God, but two would put them in great conflict with the Jewish community. Even specifically here, he's talking about, you know, like you might see some of these things and wonder, like, what are they talking about? Like animals that were strangled. The Jews didn't eat animals that were strangled to death because all of the blood wouldn't have drained from it. And from the Old Testament law, God's way of protecting them from diseases and keeping them safe and in health was to make sure they weren't eating anything that was going to be unclean or harmful for them. So they didn't eat strangled animals because all the blood didn't drain right. And, And so there was all these things where the apostles knew if the Gentiles, if the Gentiles don't address some of these things in their lives, if the Gentiles don't put down some idols, if the Gentiles don't surrender their will to the greater cause of Christ, there won't be great unity and power amongst the church moving forward. And so right on the back of him saying, grace alone, grace alone, put down your idols, turn from your sexual sin." Adjust your diet and things like this and idols, right? So, so he's right on the back of grace alone. He's giving them some practical, moral instruction. And my first thought as I read this, it's kind of like, okay, how would people respond to a grace alone message? Grace alone, grace alone, grace alone, freedom in Christ, freedom in Christ. People are like, yeah, 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 yeah. But how, how do people respond to like, okay, now here's how it's going to adjust your life. That's where most people are like, okay, time out. That's actually where I'd expect here for there to be some pushback. Like, okay, uh, you know, James and Peter, that, I, was, I was with you on grace alone. But, you know, uh, this food thing and, uh, you know, th- these are my sexual preferences, Peter. And so I'm sorry. This is, this is what. But how do they respond to the moral, practical instruction lumped together with grace alone? I want you to look at verse 31. Ready? The apostles go out. They send the letter. And it says, look, the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Wait a minute, you just gave them new rules and restrictions to live by and they were glad? You just, you just gave them some adjustments to their life and their schedule and their priorities and their idols? Like you gave them the gospel of Christ and some practical instruction and, and there, there was no pushback? There was no, like they were glad? Here's why they were glad because they properly understood the message of the gospel that resulted in joy to say, we'll gladly receive whatever you have for us, Lord. I'll explain it like this. You know, we've, we've got at our church, and I love this about our church, we've got a lot of young married couples at our church. I think it's just awesome. I think it's great. And so, you know, even in the first few years of our church, I've sat down with some young couples that are I mean, getting engaged or getting married or whatever, and, you know, talking with them about marriage and where they're at and different kind of things, particularly if I'm going to do their wedding. And uh, I'm really trying to dig out any potential red flags, things that would be be potentially detrimental or harmful for their future and their marriage together, making sure that they're starting off as strong as possible, etc. You know what I've never heard, though? And again, I haven't done thousands of these, so maybe it's in the cards one day. You know what I've never heard? You guys have done this a lot more than me. Maybe y'all have heard this. I've never heard um, the man sitting down, the three of us, the man and the woman and the man be like, pa- Pastor Nate, uh, you know, I'm excited for my, my future bride here. It's going to be great. I'm really excited to marry her. But I was just wondering, how many nights a week do I have to be home to be married to her? I was just wondering, like, how many nights, I, you know, I can, like, not be there, you know, in case, 
you know, stuff, stuff comes up, you know, like, you know, go out with the boy. Like, how many nights do I have to be home to be married? How many, uh, you know, how, how much do I have to serve her? You know, she, she can struggle sometimes in seasons and it's just overwhelming. I've got enough on my own plate. I'm just so overwhelmed. How much, if she's, if she's overwhelmed and I'm overwhelmed too, how much do I have to serve her and give to her without her giving? I'm just wondering how much it is for her to be my wife. I mean, I'd be sitting there like, dude, you're asking the wrong questions. You are off. Right? Because to be married, the question to ask is not, how, how much do I have to love her and tell us enough? How many nights do I have to be home? How much do I have to pour out till I start receiving? The question is, how can I love my spouse? Period. How can I better know them and what they're going through and understand them to position myself in a way to better sacrificially serve and love them and push them towards Christ-likeness? Uh, not not how, how often, you know, how, how much can I get away, but how much can I be there and be present and pour in? How much can I prioritize? Like, those are the right questions. Why? Because if you're asking those questions, then you believe right about marriage and its value and the power in it and the design from God for it. If, if, you're, if you're entering into a marriage asking how much you can leave and how little do you have to make, that's telling me you've misunderstood the meaning and covenant and power of marriage. So, so it is with the gospel. I hear so many people, well, you know, so to, so to be a Christian, how much do I really have to? You're, you're off base, man. You know, to, to, to follow God and be right with God, you know, how, how much do I have to attend church? And how much do I have, how much, how much Bible do I really have to know? How much do I have to, it's like, if you're asking the question, you're revealing something in your heart, you've not understood the gospel right. You've not understood it. Because if you've understood it right, the, the, the grace and the love and the mercy of God overflows in you in such a way where you're like, God, how can I, how can I serve you? God, how can I love you? That's why when they get this letter, no matter what it demanded of them, they're like, praise God awesome. Why? Because they understood the power of God, the grace of God, the love of God, what God had done for them. It just spills out as a result of like, Lord, here I am, send me. Lord, speak, your servant is listening. God, what, what are you asking of me? Of course the answer is yes, because of what you've done for me. Christ and Christ alone. That's, that's the truth right there of the gospel that overflows in your heart, that gives you the power and the want to, to serve him. It's, it's the fuel in the tank to push towards the things of God, that you're saved not by your own works, not by your own good deeds. You're saved by grace and grace alone. So I pray you receive that today. I pray that sinks into your heart today. In Jesus' name, would you stand up with me all over the room? Father, we, we receive your grace today. Lord, thank you for the cross of Christ. Lord, thank you that you died a sinner's death in our place. Lord, I pray for anyone in the room today that doesn't know you. Lord, I pray today would be the day of salvation. If that's you and you're far from God today, you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, coming to Christ is easy. Christ has made the way for you to know him. He has he, he lived the perfect life you couldn't live. He died a sinner's death you deserve to die. And if you would believe in him by faith today, God would delight in saving you, fill you with his spirit just like he did in the book of Acts. Become the Lord and leader of your life. You'll never be the same. If that's you, I want, 
I pray you make that decision today. I plead with you, make that decision today. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray for anyone in the room that has, even without knowing it, just slipped into striving and a works-based righteousness. Lord, we find ourselves beating ourselves up when we're struggling and feeling good about ourselves when we're doing good. And Lord, I pray today you would set us free from a performance-based righteousness. God, would you, would you let us know today, remind us by your spirit in our hearts, Lord, that you, you don't just forgive us and tolerate us. God, you delight in us as your children. God, you delight in us. I want you to receive that today. Somebody feels like God's just tolerating you or putting up with you. No, no, no. Christ paid for you. You are righteous by Christ, and God delights in you today. Lord, may we believe that. May we receive that. Lord, may anything that we do, anything that we do, God, be an overflow of receiving your grace. May it be in response to your good news. May it be in response to the work of the cross. Lord, we thank you for that today. Thank you for it. Lord, may we not take it casually. May we not breeze past it. May it not be something we grow just so familiar with. God, but may we be in awe today. Lord, that you've saved us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's podcast. Hey, if this content was helpful and encouraging to you, you could help us out by leaving a review or sharing it with the people in your life. I know it would bless them. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week.